we're going to get right after this. Usually we spend a lot of time trying to come up with clever introductions on how to get to the Bible, but it's been a long week. Um, we don't got time for that today. We're just going to open up the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, do you? How many of you have the app? It's okay to flip your phones on the app. Uh, you can check the score in a little bit because it'll look like you're reading your Bible. We're going to be in Joel chapter 2, okay? Uh, Joel chapter 2, we're gonna, I'm going to read 1 through 17. It's going to be on the screen, maybe. Uh, and then, if not, follow along, find it later. Here's Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds, a day of blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was old, such as never of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them flames ablaze. Before them land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them it's a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like a cavalry, with a nose like nose. Sorry, with noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like crackling fire, consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn for battle. At the sight of them, the nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in a line not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon a city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and moon are darkened and stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, bless you, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call the sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring the elders together. Gather the children. Those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room. And let the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep at the temple porch at the, and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in obscure passages like this one, uh, we still are able to find hope. Uh, that in, in, in times like this, uh, these passages speak to us still. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, in the next few moments, your spirit would still be working, that you would look in our hearts, that you would begin to point out the ways in which we might have deviated. And in your name we pray. Amen. 
this chapter is all about chaos. Hey, Dylan, the lights are wigging out again. Uh, this chapter is all about chaos. This chapter is, is about the, the it's, it's a repeat of almost the, the very first one. Chaos has a way of building on itself. This is what Joel is getting at. And we've seen that in this last week. If it's not a pandemic, it's an election. If it's not the election, it's the results after the election. If it's not the volatile economy, it's the increasing crime rates. It's the uncontrollable homelessness. It's the drug use. It's all of it. Every single chaotic situation isn't just one. What makes it chaotic is it's multiple. And then I got an email last week from a buddy that said Creed is rehearsing again. For those of you who don't know Creed, well done. Uh, But chaos after chaos after chaos and then Creed. It's not going to be good. It's chaos building and it's disorder happening. And our world shakes because of it. If you haven't sensed this idea of chaos around us, I would like to know where you live because it's probably a nice rock that you haven't seen anything happen around us. There is chaos everywhere. But here's the good thing. In the middle of every single chaos, there is a call. In the middle of every single chaos, God gives us an invitation. Because that's how God works. From the very first words of the Bible, God spoke into the nothingness, the chaos, and brought order. Let there be light. And there was light. And he's been doing that ever since. Into chaos, God brings order. And in fact, I'd say this. This is exactly what God is best at bringing completion to our crisis. And we have crises all around us. Joel 2, 1 through 17, it's a long passage. We read it because it's, comp- because it's really poignant for today. Inside this passage, if you remember, there is a lot of warnings, but the last half of it was all about an invitation or a response. So let's look at the warnings. Let's go back. Joel 2, verses 1 through 3. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming and is at hand. Let me make sure I was on. Yeah, for the day of the Lord is coming and is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large, mighty army comes and it ends all this. You cannot escape them. Joel is a prophet, and Old Testament prophets have two things. Joel's name means Yahweh is God. Usually they have some kind of name like that. Yahweh is God. Joel's sitting here, and that's, that's his message. Yahweh is God in the midst of all of this. He is still God. But Joel's people that he comes to are the people of Judah. The people of Judah have been through a lot. They've seen wars. They've seen famines. They've seen, half their, they've seen their nation split. It used to be the nation of Israel, but it's split, and now it's Israel and Judah. And then they saw half of their friends deported off when, the, when Babylon came on. The people of Judah have seen a lot, and now they're teetering on extinction. And so here comes Joel with this message to them. There's more coming. Great. There's more chaos to us. Joel keeps on adding it. And it's like him saying, yeah, Creed and Nickelback are now starting to play again. There's more chaos brewing. It's not, and you think that this day of the Lord is going to save you. Their hope was that the day of the Lord would come and vanquish all their fears, right their chaos. And Joel says, it's not. In fact, the day of the Lord is really going to be painful for you. 
So Joel says, blow this trumpet. This, when they blew the trumpet, it was those big shofars. And it would either call people to worship or they would call people to get their attention. It happens back in Exodus was the first time we see it happening. Call the people to the mountain of God. He says, blow the trumpet. But now this tsunami warning or this air raid horn isn't for a good reason. It's to warn them that something is coming. Your world, he says, is about to be shook. It's time to repent. It's time to return. This first warning to them is our first warning to us. Our worlds will be, have been, or are being shaken. Joel brings the idea that if you think you're immune to this because of something you've said, something you've done, maybe a prayer or your devotionals, you're not. You're still going to be shook. I grew up in Southern California. How many of you have ever spent time there? Okay, you know about this. Earthquakes. There is no warning for them. They just happen. They don't shake during business hours. There's not earthquake season. Uh, like the lucky people in Florida get. I mean, they're not lucky they get hurricanes, but there's a season for hurricanes. You can kind of expect them. I've had an earthquake at Christmas. I've had an earthquake in the middle of the day, middle of the night, Easter. Earthquakes just happen. And there's certain codes that you can build your buildings around, but the fact is the earthquake is going to come and it's going to shake you. And once, it's, once it starts shaking, there's nothing you can do about it. So either you freak out or you be like me and my family and go, oh, cool, how big is this going to get? Because we're just along for the ride. I remember one time being shook awake around 7 in the morning. And not shook awake was nice to say it. I was thrown out of my bed. There was a 7.4 quake in San Bernardino. And it, it didn't, usually they kind of start small. This one went boom and just hit us. And I was thrown out of my bed. And then I found myself with my hand on my fish tank trying to keep the 30 gallons upright. This was an earthquake and it was huge and it came out of nowhere. And whenever they happen, there's always this pause. You, they start to shake and everyone in the same room kind of goes, am I crazy? Are you feeling this? Am I feeling this? Is this, is this gonna be the big one or is it just gonna be a little typical Tuesday morning kind of thing? Is this gonna, is this gonna grow, grow to be like a 6.5? Do I need to run for cover or can I still make coffee? One time that we were playing golf with my father-in-law and we're on the sixth hole and it was a par three or something like that. It was my shot in the middle of my backswing. I would have got a hole in one. In the middle of my backswing, it starts to shake and I hit it and it was all, it landed about that far from the hole. It's all the shaking. But I looked at him, I go, did we just? And he goes, yep, you're still out. It's time for your putt. It's like, no big deal. Earthquakes happen. Shaking happens in California. And we can, have some, we can have two responses to it. Shakings happen in California. Shakes happen in our lives. But no, no, no avoiding it, you're going to be shook. And you can either respond in a couple of ways. You can deny it. It'll never happen to me. I'm unshakable. No, you're not. Everyone is shakable. In fact, the stronger you deny your ability to be shook the, and the world around you to be shaken is evidence that the ground you're on is entirely unstable. You're like in the fifth round of a Jenga game and everything's balancing on that one cube that is uneven to begin with. You will be shook. Our world shakes seemingly more often than not, especially in these past months. But also historically, our world's been shook by wars, world wars, pandemics, famines. 
dictators and non-dictators, floods, attacks, empires, rising and falling, and depressions. Think back through your history lessons in school. Your world has been shook. Second Peter talks about this, that societies are being shook at all the times. God is shaking things. God will use the shakes. Haggai says this. When's the last time you went to Haggai? This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, once more, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry lands. I will shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill the house with glory, says God Almighty. It's not only that world shakes, God shakes things. Things shake around us. Our lives have been shaken in these past few months. Deaths of loved ones, losses of jobs, sickness that you've never really recovered from, layoffs, divorces, bankruptcy, disappointment after disappointment. The world will shake. That's one of the warnings Joel's saying. Look, this army is coming. You can feel them. It's they're shaking the land. Get ready, they're coming. And it says this, there's another warning. warning. You're not going to escape it. Joel, uh, verse three, before them fire devours, behind them flames ablaze. Before them, their land is like the Garden of Eden. Think about it. The land's like the forest. Behind them, it looks like the desert. There's no getting around them. Nothing escapes them. Verse 7, they charge like warriors. They go wall up walls like soldiers. They march in line. They never swerve from their course. They plunge through your defenses and they never break ranks. They go in windows like thieves. Joel switches metaphors here from locusts to an army. And he's talking about an unstoppable force that trounced any kind of defense mechanism that we can muster. Nothing can or nothing will make these uh, invaders move their course. No matter how many defensive you put in their way, they will keep going. This is really uplifting, right? Your world's going to be shook. But what do you do when your world shakes? One of the best pieces of advice that I got when my, about five years ago when my dad passed was from a friend and he looked at me and he goes, allow this to affect you. Allow this world-shaking event of the loss of your father affect you. Let it shake you. Don't go numb to it. He says, let it hit you like the waves when you're surfing. Let it, let it and, and experience it and feel it as much as you can. Because the more you avoid it, the more it's going to hurt. The question isn't avoiding the feeling about being shook, because that's all of our first tendencies. The question for us is when you're shook, where do you run to? When you allow it to come in, when you say, okay, this is shaking me to my core, where do you go? What does it expose about you? One of the interesting things about the past, is it eight months now? is that a lot of things have been exposed about our societies, but a lot of things have been exposed about us. When you're shaken like this, it reveals a lot about you. It shakes away the dust. It shakes away all of the things that shouldn't be on you. Like a dog shaking off the fleas, it goes away, and then you're left with, this is what I have. The shaking exposes us. And you can only deal with it for a while. You can only run away for it for, for a while. So when it starts to shake, where have you ran? Has it been the bottle? Has it been the pills? Has it been the porn? Has it been politics? Has it been the news cycles? 
Has it been engaging in online arguments? Because those are always fruitful. Has it been social media? Has it been food? Where have you ran? All of these elements that we're, that we're coming against are ways of denying that we're being shook. They're ways of covering up the fact that we're hurting, the fact that we are being shaken. They, those are ways that we pretend to be okay. And this is the warning that Joel brings us. Don't ignore this one. Don't deny it. Don't numb yourself against it. You can't run. You can't hide. And this is the beauty of Joel's warning. He's led them to the place where argumentatively, he's like, you can't hide this. And so your response back to Joel would have been, so what do we do? How do we survive this shaking? Where do we go? And Joel says, I'm really glad you asked. Here's what happens. Watch what Joel says. If these, these were the warnings, here's the response in the middle of it. But notice first, who's responding? Who, who's responding? Who's the one responding here? All these warnings in every chaotic moment, in every moment when your world is shaking, is an invitation, is a call. Joel 2.12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Now there's a lot here. Uh, we're going to dig into it for a little bit. In the Hebrew, the verse begins like this, Nahum Yahweh. You want to say it? Go ahead. Oh, right. Next time, more of you will say it because we've got three more Hebrew words to look. Nahum means this, uttered or declared. Yahweh is the name for God. Nahum Yahweh. If you remember, this chapter opens up with a trumpet sounding saying, everybody pay attention. The next thing that everyone hears is the voice of God. God is responding here. God is the one doing the talking. The voice of God is the next sound. Nahum Yahweh. God is speaking here. He's the one who's initiating this conversation. No matter how loud, no matter how crazy, no matter how chaotic, God's voice is the one that pierces the noise. In all the chaos, God says, God speaks, and he comes to us. My family had a whistle, still does, uh, Carrie can't whistle, but the boys will, so we can all whistle around her. Yes, she can't whistle. You guys should ask her. It's hilarious. Sorry, Carrie. She's downstairs. But she can sing great. But here's the deal. Our family has a whistle. My dad started it. We would be anywhere. We'd be at a baseball game at, at Anaheim Stadium, or we'd be in an airport or a mall, and we'd hear this. <whistles> Didn't matter. We knew what it was. We'd look. Yes, dad's around. <whistles> we got to pay attention. It's our family whistle. It's distinct to us. And it pierced everything. God's voice is the same. In the middle of chaos, like us, in the middle of an airport as a family, or in the middle of a crowded ballpark, our ears are attuned to what is around us. We can be in the middle of something and we'd hear the whistle. And it would pierce the chaos, just like God's voice pierces the chaos around us. While we are shaking, God is calling out to us. Can you hear it? Can you sense it? Has the noise around you been shaken off of you yet to where you can see where God is calling you in this? The next phrase, even now, 
It starts out with, declares the Lord, and this is what God says, even now. You ready for more Hebrew? Gam atah. Go ahead. Oh, more of you this time. Gam atah. In other words, after all of this has come, even now, God says, even now with all of this shaking, even now, whether it's happened to you or whether it, you have brought it upon yourself, even now, if you're, not feel, if you're far from being okay, even now, when you're still battling addiction, even now, in the middle of grief, even now, if you're still not over that thing that kept happening to you, even now, when it still hurts to think about, even now, if it's still a secret, even now, if it's been months, years, or decades, even now, since no one believed you, even now, God says, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. Now, right now, it doesn't matter the time, God is ready for you. Even now, declares the Lord, or declares the Lord, right now is a good time. Here's the next part. Return to me. Last Hebrew word for the day. Shub. It's a fun one. Go ahead. Liz, thank you. I didn't see your mask move. Shub. Even now, return. The word for shub means this. Come back. Stop. Repent. Change direction. Turn around. It means this. Change your trajectory. You're going like that. Put on the brakes. 180 degree turn. Come back. It means you've wandered away. Perhaps you've built your life on a foundation that keeps slipping. Now you need to stop and return. Come back from where you're going. Even now, come back. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter how far away you got. Even now, it's okay. The invitation is there. And since God is the one responding first, our response to turning to him, to stopping, to coming back, is in response to his invitation. He's asking you, in a way of asking, he's begging you, come back, stop. All this chaos in your life, let it bring you back to the one thing that's unshakable, to the one person that's unshakable. It says this then, rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. To rend means this, means to rip or to tear. It's usually done in that day uh, when someone was shubing or repenting. I just wanted to say shubing because it sounded fun. They would, they would rip their clothes to show some kind of, look, I'm broken. It was a Hebrew custom of this is my emotion. I'm, I'm very emotional right now. It's usually in grief or it's in terror or it's in some kind of horror. But here God says, when you come, don't rip your clothes. Don't do the outward show. God doesn't want the outward signs of piety. He wants something deeper. Because all of us can go around and go like this. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm repenting. God says, I don't want the show. I don't want you to be able to show your friends how broken you are. I want the real you. I want your heart. And it's important that we see this because every single one of us falls prey to this. It doesn't matter who you are. All of us like to put on a show. It's not just for certain people on the Enneagram or certain personality types. All of us tend to care what people think about us because we want people to think 
highly about us. So we want to say the right things. We want to do the right things. We want to wear the right clothes. We want to listen to the right music. We want to vote for the right politicians. We want to put on the right, right stickers. We want to wave the right flags. We want to like the right posts. And for some, for good reasons. But also, if we're honest, when I'm honest, my motivation is oftentimes to be seen by other people as doing the right thing. And that's not what God is after. God isn't after your virtuous piety so everyone could see it. He's not up for that. Israel was great at this because they usually, what usually happened is Israel would sin. Israel kind of went through this whole cycle thing. They would sin and they go, oh, bad things are happening. Let's put on the show. Let's start the music. Let's rip our clothes. Let's do the offerings. Let's, let's put away the idols for a few months. Let's show people that we're serious about repenting. And God says, I don't want any of that. I want the real deal. I don't want your performance checklist. Because if they did the right, they thought if they did the right things and showed God that they were serious, then God would act. And so God says in Amos 5, I don't want your music. I don't want your worship anymore. He says in Isaiah, Isaiah, stop fasting. You're hungry, go eat. Stop fasting here. I don't want it. Jesus says, I don't want your tithe. I want your heart. I don't want you to go through the motions. I want the real deal. And so God says it here. Don't put on a show. Don't placate your pious piousism. Uh, don't play your piousistic games with me. Our relationship with God isn't based on transactional things. Because this transactional approach that we have to God isn't the firm foundation that we want. Our world's being shaken. We're seeking stability and making this relationship with your God this transactional thing where if I read the right devotions, if I pray for enough time, if I have an accountability partner, if I go to church, in person or online, if I do something, then God will be happy with me. But what happens? Something happens and now you're worried. It's an even more shakable relationship with God. In relationship with God, God says, I don't want that. I want the real deal. It'll get you wondering and asking, did you do all of this enough? And that's not the way God works. He says his burden is easy. It's light. Come to him. Don't get in this endless cycles. God says he wants our heart. He wants to put an end to the cycle of performance. But here's the thing. It's not easy. The heart change is the hard change. Because what God is asking Israel to do here is the same thing he's asking with us. It's this concept of repenting. It's not surface level change because the surface level change won't prevent our lives from crumbling when the shaking begins. The unshakable place we all desire is only addressed by addressing the foundations of our hearts. I worked in construction for a while and my dad had the company. We've talked about it before. I was really bad at it, uh, but I needed a job and dad didn't want to give me money so he'd make me earn it. So one time, it was in Anaheim, it was like 2013, something like that, we were redoing an old house. And this house was built in 1902, and not much had been done to it ever since. And so we were standing around wondering, where do we start? We got this job, we have the blueprints, but we have no idea the condition of the house. And I was the scrub on the job, and so dad looked at me and went, you see that door down there? That's the crawl space. Can you imagine me in a crawl space? 
I think he was just doing it to get a laugh. He says, Brad, I want you to go down there and, and tell, take some pictures. Come back and tell me the condition of everything. Because before we start to restore this house, we need to know what kind of foundation it's sitting on. And this, this wall would need to go. This HVAC needs to go. This electrical needs to go. But all of it is going to be trash in the next 3.5 earthquake, which could happen at any moment. So I want you to go down there and examine the footings of the house. And so I dug around. When I was down there, I found some cool stuff. I found like a flag with only 48 stars. I was like, oh, I'm keeping this. But we found some amazing things. But as I'm digging around the footings, some of them weren't even feasible anymore. I can scratch the brick away and they would fall off. Some of them were on rotted beams. And as I walked, crawled around the house, I saw that this house is incredibly unstable. And then I thought, I'm going to get out of here because all I need is someone to drop a wrench upstairs and I'm screwed. This is a dangerous place to be. It's the same thing with our lives. We're very good at putting on the exterior changes, aren't we? Oh, I'm going to do all of these things, but I'm not going to address the inside of me. And so we address the sidings, even though the footings are crumbling. We, went to, we redid this house, but our first step in this house wasn't anything cosmetic. The first step that we had was to readdress the foundations. And this is what Joel is getting the people of Israel to do. Look, stop with the shows. Your lives have been shaken. It's time to address your foundation. It's uncomfortable because you're going to look at everything that you thought brought you stability and you're going to question it. Why? Because what you thought brought you stability in the past doesn't bring you stability now. If you want long-lasting change in your life, you're going to have to address the foundations of your heart. That's what God wants us to do here. Not just the exterior changes. God wants to restore all of us. So he says, I want the foundations of your heart to change. Even now, God says, change your hearts. Don't just change your clothes. But let's finish the verse. Because there's a reason why. Because he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. When we address the foundations in our lives, it's not out of this fear that God is going to smite us. Because what does it say here? Slow to anger. Abounding in grace. You're returning to an invitation. The prodigal son comes home to a father he thought was going to be angry, but instead had the father come home and give him a hug. This is what we're coming back to. The foundations of our lives are not transactional. The foundation of our lives is built on a God who is deeply in love with every single part of you. And he doesn't want to force that relationship on you. Because when the world shakes with every report of death, with every spot story of failure and success, when the world revolves around status and wealth, the world that seems like it's constantly teetering on ruin, God wants to bring us stability. And what doesn't change in the middle of all of that? His grace, his long-suffering, his love. These foundations won't ever be shaken, no matter the magnitude of the earthquake that comes. And I'm afraid to say it mainly because when I do say something like this, defenses go up and then email accounts are opened and I get hurt, I hear about it. But I want us to think about this. 
Because in the last little while, we've had our, our foundations absolutely shook. In the last few hours, in the past months, and maybe in the past year. Perhaps your foundation has been solely built on your work, and now that's changed. Perhaps your foundation was built on a relationship that's gone. Perhaps your foundation was built on who was in political office, and that may be changing. Or perhaps your foundation and your hope is based on who's not in office, and that might be changing. Perhaps your foundation shook with every single news story that was published. I'll be honest, this week was hard. I had to address some of my foundations. We all do. It's not comfortable when we do it, but it's the only way to last. It's the only way to secure the foundation when the world begins to shake. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 26 and 27. But if you, just, if you use my words in Bible studies and don't, look in, don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, build your life on me. Don't build it around these other things that are outward facades and cool sidings and nice paint jobs and awesome windows. The foundation of your heart is on Christ, the unshakable one. Because he is gracious and he is kind, he is long-suffering, and he stands forever. I love the line in that Matthew passage. Don't be like the stupid carpenter. That's a different translation. It's the message. Don't be like the carpenter who builds things that crumble. Build it on the rock that doesn't move. That's the invitation in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our shaking. When an earthquake happens, where do you run? Do you hide underneath these flimsy chairs? Or do you run to something that's a little bit more solid? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are our foundation. That you are a place where we can run when everything begins to shake. We thank you for that invitation. That even now, we can come to you. Even now, in the midst of everything that's going on, we can return. The invitation stands. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for the invitation. Now may we accept it and return. It's in your name we pray.